and things, right? Um, creating space for you to use the gifts that God has given you. And when you're using those gifts, we find purpose and meaning in life. And uh, this morning, I'm just gonna, we're going to hand out a, a sheet. Actually, we're going to hand out two sheets. They're cardstock. And uh, on one of them, it, it has areas of service within the local church. And then on the back, it has a spot for your name and your email and your phone number. Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to take all of the information that you give us and we're going to give it to the correct leaders and say, hey, these persons have these gifts and they're interested in serving in the church. So uh, if you could just, I think we probably want you to lift your hand until you get two cards um, and there's going to be people coming up right now to, you're going to get one card right now. You're going to get one card right now and then at the point will be the other card which has the different spiritual gifts. So if you're not sure what your spiritual gifts are and you want a brief recap rather than a 12-week sermon series, uh, that's, those are found at the point. I know that some of you are probably thinking to yourself, well, I don't really want a card today. Well, just humor me and take a card today. And uh, you can take that card home and pray about it. And I mean that. That's not, a, that's not a cop-out or a scapegoat to get you to, you know, think about it and then manipulate you into service. Please don't do that. Because the last thing we want is people serving who don't want to serve. But if you are inclined to serve in the church, uh, we want to let you know that we're really being diligent about finding the right spot for people and then creating a space for them to do that. And this helps us to understand that a little bit. If you're not sure about these areas of service that are identified, as you exit the sanctuary and you go down to your left, we call that the Ellery Wing, um, on the wall in the Ellery Wing are different cards that line up with these titles, and you can find out more information about them. So if you're asking, well, what on earth is the executive team? That card will tell you about that. What on earth is the administrative team? That card will tell you that, and, and so on and so forth. But one thing we've found, and this isn't new, is that when people are plugged into service, they find joy in doing what the Lord has given them some skill set to do, not just in the world at large, but also for the local church. And um, take a few minutes. We're not going to bombard you with doing stuff every single day, but uh, we are taking it serious to try to create space for people to use the gifts that God has given them in the local church. Um, I want to pray for you as you uh, discern kind of where you can serve the Lord. Some of you remember back in the days of the draft. Some of you were drafted. You didn't have a choice in that, did you? I've talked to many, many people uh, during the Vietnam era who said, well, we enlisted because we wanted a choice. Jesus calls us into relationship to him and then he says, now go and serve me. This is hopefully going to help you do that in a way that is edifying to the body and to you and building of the kingdom. So uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for each person that you've gathered here in your name and those that are uh, not here yet. Lord, I pray that the gifts that you've given them, the, the tools that you've given them, the passions that you've given them, Lord, that they would uh, relinquish their right to themselves and surrender them to you so that you can build your kingdom. And Lord, that in the process of that, they might find joy. Jesus, you're so good. In your name we pray. Amen. After the service, if you 
fill that out right now, well, that's okay too. Uh, but if you fill that out right now, after the service, you can place these in the offering baskets. And they're located in the back uh, along the wall or as you exit the sanctuary in the center kind of when you go out uh, into the gallery. I need a, a couple of volunteers. And, and I really need, and so I'm really getting specific. This isn't open to anybody. I really need a husband and wife team that are comfortable kind of talking uh, at least into a microphone for a minute. And uh, so we can volunteer or we can voluntold. It's a whole lot easier if we volunteer, though. But uh, yeah, I just need one couple, husband and wife team that have been married for a little while. And oh, Brenda and Bob met. And Bob didn't know that his hand was raised, but your wife raised her hand. Come on up here for a minute. Oh, we, no, we got two. Yeah, come on up. Yeah, Roger and Arlene, you both of you, this would be the more the merrier. Wow, this is fantastic. Now, I'm putting you on the spot. Keith, stay with me. I need this microphone, and I'm going to need the other. Come right on up here. We want everybody to see you and to, to know the name and the face. And I. <laughs> so Brenda volunteered for the Mintons, and who volunteered for the Connollys? Roger. So it seems like maybe Brenda and Roger should be doing this by themselves, right? Here, you get this, and you get this. Just uh, That's why we've been married 42, 47 Okay, this is going to go perfect. <laughs> 42 years or 47, depending on who you ask. How long have you guys been married? 34. 34. Speak right into that. 34. 34 years. Oh, fantastic. The reason that you got to talk into the microphone is our friends at home can't enjoy the comedy. I mean, can't hear what you're saying unless you use the microphone. So I don't want to have to repeat everything. But I just have a couple of questions for you. We'll go with you guys first, okay? So Brenda and, and Bob, do you remember when you met? Bob, you go first. Oh, geez, we, um, we met with, we were in, um, I was in seventh grade. <laughs> we dated nine years before we got married. Dated nine, so perfect. I want to expand on that a little bit. Brenda, could you just take the microphone now? So in those nine years, did you count the cost of being married to Mr. Bob Minton? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What did it cost you? Not a lot. Not a lot. It was a, a good, lot. it was a good exchange. It was a good exchange. It was a great exchange. Okay. Uh, Bob, maybe you could go next. You guys are coming up, so be, be prepared. Um, did, you guys, uh, did you guys buy a house? We did. You did. Did you meet with a banker before you bought the house? Not the first house we bought. I bought it from Brenda's father, actually. So. Okay. Second house. But the second house we did. We you met, met with a banker. banker and uh, did the banker kind of help you identify if you could afford to buy this house or not? Correct. Correct. Okay, perfect. Um, told us we couldn't. Told us you couldn't. No, or we could afford it or could not afford yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And uh, Roger and Arlene, how long have you guys been married? You said 34, I think, correct? Okay. 34. 34 years. Um, uh, Arlene, why don't you go first? Y you've been married for 34 years. Did you calculate the cost of being married to Mr. Roger Connolly? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> so it was a... It was a decision that you hadn't calculated, but... Good thing. <laughs> I've ridden snowmobiles with Roger and uh, my friend Walt, and these men have two, two gears, on and off. I have... Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yes is right. Um, so if you could just... Maybe, maybe one thing that you've learned over the years is that life with Roger is... Eventful. Is eventful. Okay, life with Roger is eventful. Now, Roger, uh, it's your turn to answer. Um, you, you, you work in the heating and cooling industry, right? Yep. Uh, yes. On a regular basis, do you have to calculate the cost of whatever it is that you're doing? 
Sure. What happens, what happens if you don't do that? Well, then I never know where I'm going to end up. You need to know where you're going to end up, so you've got to calculate the cost. What, if the customer uh, were to be the recipient of you not calculating the cost, what would that look like? Say that again. So if, uh, if you were working on my furnace and you never calculated how much it was going to cost and you got to the end and it was, I don't know, $20,000, how would that end? What, what kind of relationship would we have? Not good. Not good. Because it's not going to be fair. It's not going to be fair. So we've got to calculate the cost. Now back to, to Brenda and Bob for one more question. Then we're going to thank them and send them on their way. And we're going to get to 35 and we're going to get to 48, okay? Have you 47? You're coming up on 47. You've been married 47. I'm, I'm saying we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to the next, the next one. We're going to get to the next one. Um, you guys have, have children, uh, three, correct? Daughters. No. Oh, that's right. One son, one two son boys, and one two daughter. Daughters. That's right. I, I did know that. I did know that. I'm just stuck in dads of daughters for some reason. Um, did you anticipate what it would cost you to have children before you had children? Oh boy, not at all. Not at all. Was the, um, did you ever want to take them back? <laughs> don't, answer, don't answer that question. Uh, which, which one? <laughs> uh, he loves you. If you're in here or online, he loves you. Uh, and uh, so you didn't necessarily calculate the cost on the front end, but the reward on the other end has been wonderful. wonderful. One last question. Uh, Raj and Arlene, you, your house, I won't tell everybody where you live, but you live over here, uh, behind us, kind of. Um, have you ever painted a room? Yes. Oh, yes, many. Many. What? Oh, boy. Yes, this is what we're looking for. Uh, oh, she does the painting. Oh. We've painted rooms. She's the one that actually does Oh, this painting. is perfect. You're setting this up well. So they've painted the rooms before, but uh, Arlene really has done the brushwork and the roller work, and, and Roger's the consultant. Okay, we're trying to be friendly here. I take here. the moldings down and put them back up. Take the moldings down and put them back up. And uh, did you talk about the colors beforehand? Yes. You agree with that statement? Yeah. And are you pleased with the end result? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes. What would make you unpleased with the result? He is a lot more flamboyant than I am. Roger, we want this that. on the record. Roger is more flamboyant than Arlene. That's hard to believe. <laughs> Said nobody else. Isn't that really? Yeah, really. Well, uh, thank you so much for helping us kind of understand what it means to maybe count the costs a little bit and to, to think about decisions beforehand or not. But uh, let's give them a hand, shall we? That's it. That was easy, wasn't it? That was easy. That was, that was fan. Watch your step going down. Coming up on 35 and 48. <laughs> fun fact. This is just a fun fact for you. Uh, the church in our, in our church database, I believe, I'm going to get the look right now if I'm wrong in this, but I believe that in our church database, it also tells us your anniversary if you've given us that information. So if you're ever not sure of your anniversary, just call the church office and we can help you with that. Okay. Uh, and actually, I can do it right from my phone. I could have looked that up for you, I suppose. I'm sorry. I should have I probably. That's okay. That's okay. The real, I know, and it's, it's the worst when you're in front of people and he's asking you questions off the cuff. Well, uh, 
as you can see from our veteran couples, uh, they counted the cost on some things. They didn't calculate the cost on other things. I want to talk to you a little bit today about counting the cost in what I would uh, like to say is probably one of the most difficult passages for me in Scripture. And uh, I've determined one thing in ministry. So I've been in, uh, in ministry, in pastoral ministry for 15 years, preaching the Word of God. And I have determined that I am not going to shy away from difficult texts. Okay? So we're going to preach the whole Bible, not just the parts that I like. I don't have a Jeffersonian Bible or a Tom, yeah, Thomas Jefferson Bible. There's not pages missing or sections cut out. True story, he cut out the sections he didn't like. Um, and uh, I just want to, to ask you on the front end a question, okay? Uh, as you kind of think through maybe where we're going, maybe you're already sensing it. What has following Jesus cost you? Or did you uh, maybe succumb to the movement in our culture at times, especially in our American culture, or European culture too a little bit, that it's just here to gain something? I just get to add something to my life, an added benefit. I want to be really clear and tell you that that is in direct conflict with the scriptures. Okay? So the word of God does not say that you're just going to gain something and, you know, that Jesus himself, the Messiah, the son of the living God, the incarnate or the God-man, right, said these words that I'm about to share with you. And I think this is good for all of us to hear. Uh, before we dive in, I'd like to pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you today. Father, use it for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to be diving into the Gospel of Luke, the 14th chapter. But I want to talk briefly about basketball, because that's something that I kind of have a, a, at least a, a little bit of a handle on sometimes, okay? And uh, I coach my daughter's basketball teams, and it's been fun over the years to kind of do that. And last year, we had a, a fairly large group of girls signed up for basketball. And I said something to them at the front end, and I said, you know, I want to I be really clear about something. You're going to run a lot in basketball. And I, I think, I mean, Natalie's here. She's on the team, and she, I said that several times in our opening session together, where we were talking about the season and what you can anticipate. And we told them, you're going to have to pay a fee. There's a fee for playing, and uh, you'll have to have sneakers and the proper attire. But I said multiple times, you're going to run a lot. A lot of running. Have I communicated that well yet? You know, I think as I was looking out at the 21 or 22 girls that were there the first time we gathered, I was thinking to myself, I, I hope they know what this is going to cost. But I suspected, I suspected that they had heard rumors of our previous winning season. 
we went 7-0 and during COVID. I mean, it was kind of a crazy thing. Games were a little bit different and fan base was a little bit different. But we won every single basketball game. I mean, it was fun to be, it's fun to be on a winning team, isn't it? I mean, all you people that don't like the Bills, you can come on board now, okay? And I said to him, you're going to run a lot. First practice comes up and you know what we did? Thank you. Yes, that is exactly what we did. I I say we loosely, they ran. And they ran more and they ran more and they ran more. And the second practice came along and there was 20 girls. And they ran and they ran. And by the time we got to, to season time, we had had pretty significant attrition, honestly. Because several of them said, I can't do this. If you're kind of foreshadowing where the sermon is going, you're probably going in a good direction. But there's a, a slight twist for the people known as Christians. If you got your Bibles, uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 14. And I want to teach just for a minute. And I know if you're, if you're frantically looking for the sermon notes, there's just one thing you need to know. That grace is entirely free, but it's not cheap. And have you counted the cost of following Jesus? Uh, so the crowds were following Jesus at this point, and, and rumors and understandings of what this man is doing are growing, and there are lots and lots of people coming to see, and they're coming to be touched, they want to be healed, and they want to be part of this revolution, right? Jesus is making a journey into Jerusalem, which will lead ultimately to his death. Okay, so that's the backdrop for the teaching uh, in Luke 14, beginning in verse 25. And it says this, and we're going to read for about 10 verses or 8 verses. I'm going to kind of teach through it, and then I'm going to give you a couple of nuggets of gold, hopefully. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, underline that word. It's my most difficult word in all of the text. You know what we know how to do pretty well as Americans right now is hate people with different philosophies, with different ideologies, with different orientations, with different political views, with different biblical views. We have figured out how to really use that word and throw it around. You know, my kids even use it with vegetables. They don't use it with vegetables anymore. They love vegetables. I don't like vegetables. No, that's not true. I kind of like them too. But we use that word hate and we understand that it's this strong inner feeling against somebody else. If you're sitting with your children or your father, or your mother, or your husband, or your wife, or your friend. I want you to look at them just for a moment, and in your mind, think about hating that individual. You can't do it, probably. I hope you can't do it. But Jesus, the Son of the living God, said, if anyone comes to me, And does not hate his father and mother, his wife, his children, his brothers and his sisters. Yes, even his own life. He cannot be a Christian. I know it says disciple, but I want you to understand the significance. Every Christian is is a disciple. Those words are synonymous with each other. 
follower of Jesus who produces other followers of Jesus. In Jewish law and understanding, the family system was very strong. The community was very strong. So Jesus turning and saying this to people, I don't know what their reaction is, but I know what mine would have probably been. I would have been like, eh, you probably don't really mean that. That doesn't preach real well. That's not going to increase the following. That's not going to invite more people into the, the church. And as I sat last night, I realized something. I've kind of shared with you my process for sermon prep and preaching. Uh, every Saturday night I sit with the Lord and I try to just get quiet for a little while. And um, I found that uh, I didn't like asking this question. Because I've allowed other things in my life to become first. Now I want to share a couple of things. I, I need my resource here for a quick quote. I want to uh, share two other passages. We're not going to look at them right now, but we're going to just briefly know that Jesus is not actually calling you to hate the individual. But if the other people in your life and even yourself are coming before the Lord, then you're not in line with Christ. He goes on to say in uh, Matthew's gospel, the 15th chapter, he says that parents are to be honored. So clearly he's not telling us to, to push them away entirely. And he says that we're to love ourselves, right? The great commandment, to love yourself. No, that's not the great commandment. It's to love others, your neighbor, as you love yourself. This isn't about self-deprecation or this hostile relationship between you and other people that God has brought into your circle. What Jesus is trying to very clearly and succinctly communicate is that in order to be my follower, I have to be number one. So what does it cost you? Because you probably didn't calculate that. And he says this, and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That doesn't really make a whole lot of sense in our culture, and we've tried to kind of talk around this, but let me just explain that to you. The cross was a one-way trip. Anybody who carried their cross, what were they going, what were they carrying their cross for? They were carrying their cross for Roman crucifixion. Do you come back from a Roman crucifixion? Not unless you're Jesus. He's the only guy that actually made it back after a Roman crucifixion, and that was after he was thoroughly dead. It's a one-way trip. Counting the cost of following Jesus. And he goes on to articulate this a little bit, and I want to unpack that just a little bit more, and then I want to leave you with hopefully a word of encouragement and also a space where you can calculate the cost. He goes on to say, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. By the way, he's talking about a, a vineyard right now. The tower would be in a vineyard. And we saw this a few weeks ago in the prophets where the, where the tower was in the vineyard and uh, 
That's where they would watch for people coming in to steal the, the, the grapes or to ruin the crops. He says, uh, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. You've all kind of had those thoughts probably as you've driven by homes that have been started and not finished or projects that were begun and not able to be completed because we didn't really anticipate how much it was going to cost us. I want to, uh, I'm not going to share names because I'll try not to do that. Uh, but uh, I also am the lead pastor at Park Church and we recently went through a building project and an expansion project and our architect uh, did a wonderful job of walking through with the church what we could afford based on what we wanted. You see, we wanted this, but we only had this much money. And he helped us design a space that would glorify God and that we could complete. Have you calculated the cost? And are you willing to pay the full price? This is not, you get part of it, you know, it's not like a sprinkling of salt. You get a little bit of Jesus here, a little bit of Jesus there. He goes on to say, uh, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? I just want to highlight something there real quick. Did you notice how many we're taking into battle? If you're with Jesus, how many are you taking into battle? says 10,000. How many are coming at you? 20,000. You're listening in the front row. The closer you sit to the front, the better you can hear. Or maybe it's the less distractions there are. Front seats are always open. (laughs) It's probably because I started off telling you about the splash zone. It's interesting that it's in... War then, by the way, wasn't fought with guns and with drones. and It was hand-to-hand combat. Typically, the way war worked that is he who had more hands won combat. Suppose he doesn't think about the cost. If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. He'll try to not engage the war. But if you've calculated the cost and you know who is fighting on your side... It doesn't matter how many you come against. Because as we already sang today, the battle belongs to the Lord. And he closes out this section with what I found to be the most difficult last night. In the same way, any of you friends who are gathered at Bemis Point Methodist Church right now, right now in this moment who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. And I feel like if Jesus were here he would set his book down and walk away. Have you calculated the cost? You made great decisions today. Some of you got the memo about wearing, this is salmon, by the way, not pink. 
salmon-colored shirts with gray pants. There's a couple of you out there. You, you, you calculated the cost. You, you were like, I want to wear this outfit together. Some of you calculated the cost this last week as you made purchases. You didn't buy things you couldn't afford, and if you did, you're going to regret that later. I'm just telling you. That, that, here's the deal. The scriptures tell that story crystal clear. The borrower is slave to the lender every time. You've calculated the costs about all types of things in life. I've sat with young couples who have said, we can't have kids because we can't afford it just yet. Calculating the cost of a beautiful inheritance and anticipating the time. Have you calculated the cost of following Jesus? I'll just tell you my story briefly. It's cost me almost every relationship. And it doesn't mean that I'm not friends with the folks that I was friends with. But it means that my relationship with the folks that I was friends with has radically changed. I don't get invited to the parties anymore. It's no fun to hang out with a guy who doesn't drink. I mean, right? It's no fun to, to feel, and I want to make this really clear, it's not necessarily a real thing, but to feel like there's always condemnation and that's not true but others feel that way because they're stuck in bondage and slavery there's a cost to following Jesus I heard a great uh, sermon illustration coming up for husbands and wives and I think I'll share the video and I can't remember the preacher's name but he, he's really getting into it and he's talking about taking your wife he says, you want to take her today, but are you going to take her in the years to come when she doesn't look the same? And then he goes on to list the things that are going to change a little bit. And I'm like, oh, the cost, the cost. Every couple that I do pre-marriage counseling with, I ask this question, have you calculated the cost? And have you grieved the loss? Have you grieved the loss because you're going to lose something? You can't just keep gaining. I know our American culture says that. Just keep acquiring more and more and more. You know what you'll never, ever see is a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. <laughs> Have you calculated the cost? If Jesus told you right now to pack your bags and head to Somalia, would you go? Front row gust. Or do you ask the question cautiously? Jesus, I'll follow you, but on my terms, not your terms. Or do you ask the question, what's the end gain for me? I want to tell you that uh, the end result, the end result of following Jesus is joy is peace. Jesus said to his disciples, my peace I leave with you. He pleaded with them, make my joy complete. Is love, not this euphoric tranquility that my Buddhist friends dream about, but real peace, a stillness, See, when we count the cost of discipleship, nothing deviates it. 
the early church, we don't have names. Well, we have some names, but we don't have names documented for when in the book of Acts, you read that it says they added thousands. The Lord added thousands to their number daily, right? You see who does the work? There's the Lord always. What we know is that in the uh, first and second century, when Nero was running amok with Rome, that he started to burn Christians. Literally, he would light them on fire. You can ask your historian friends this. And stick them in his gardens to, to light up the garden. You know what the Christians started doing when they were asked, are you a follower of the way? Who oh, knew? No. Started to get hot, right? And they, they backed away. They hadn't calculated the cost. They had received a morsel of the goodness of God, and they liked what they saw, so they wanted more of that, but they hadn't calculated the cost. And in turn, when things got hot, and life started to throw curveballs, and they engaged in in real-world engagement, they abandoned the faith. You want to know the solution to that, that the church ushered in very quickly? It's called discipleship. It's called teaching. So that you can understand fully the cost of following Jesus. That you can understand fully what it means to be a a disciple of Jesus, the risen Christ. So that those who came into profession of faith wasn't on a whim wasn't just to get saved from from eternal damnation. It was to enter into a relationship with a living God where he orients and ordains everything that we do. Have you calculated the cost? See, that grace that Jesus offers is free. But it's not cheap. It's not cheap. As we get ready to come to this table this morning, I want to invite you to calculate the cost. Now hear me clearly. If you've fallen asleep prior to this, listen very carefully to these next few statements. Don't come for communion unless you desire to come for communion. Don't come because your husband's coming up. Don't come because your wife's coming up. Don't come because mom and dad are coming up or whomever is coming up. You come to the table because you want to be there. Because once you desire to be in relationship with Jesus, that means that you've actively counted the cost. And you're willing to say, I do. Every day. Let me back that statement up. I desire it every day. I give my life to Jesus. At the end of the day, I invite him to share where I haven't done that real well. That's kind of difficult. Count the cost. And here's the deal. If it seems like it's just too much, I want to talk with you. Others who are walking in the faith want to talk with you about the joy of the Lord. We want to be able to give a defense for why we are those crazy Christians. The ones who change culture, not, engage, not simply become culture. 
the ones who are real about the faith. The ones who understand that nothing can separate us from the love of God. There's nothing you've done that separates you from the love of God. But there is things that you engage in now that make it difficult to engage with God. Repent of your sins. Kyle Eidelman, I'll leave you with this final thought. Kyle Eidelman wrote a book, uh, Not a Fan. And uh, he challenges the church. He challenges the church to stop sitting in the bleachers. You know, fans get to celebrate the highs and complain about the lows, but they don't ever play the game. They don't ever experience what the player experiences. And I want to invite you to take seriously the faith and to begin fresh and new today after calculated cost and then to invite others to engage as well. Holy God, thank you for your faithfulness even when we are not faithful. God, thank you that you have not left us as orphans, that you've not abandoned us, that you are present even when we are in direct opposition with you. But Lord, I ask now that your Holy Spirit would convict us of sin and that in the same breath that you would purify us. So that we might enter his gates with thanksgiving and the courts with praise. Lord, we have ears today. May we be able to hear. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.